Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. With you until 6.30 right here on The Fan, we're Grant and Danny. Yesterday, Eric Bieniemy was introduced, and we were looking to get some people on in the days ahead who know Bieniemy that can discuss with us what Washington's getting in this new offensive coordinator. And we decided to talk with uh, Chad Brown, who had a great career at Colorado and a really impressive run in the NFL, an all-pro and a pro bowler who had a lengthy, successful stint in the National Football League. He's on the hotline. We'll get to him in just a moment. Final chance for you to win Wizards tickets today, right now. Got to be the 10th caller. 800-636-1067. Caller 10. You're seeing the Wiz. The Raptors, 7 p.m., March 2nd, Capital One Arena, courtesy of our friends at Monumental Sports. Buy your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. But without further ado, let's talk to the longtime really good player who's now at ESPN, covers the college game, Compass Media. Chad Brown is on the BetQL guest hotline. Chad, thanks for joining us in D.C. How are you? I am fantastic. Happy Friday to you, my friend. Thank you, Chad. Really, really appreciate that. You were a teammate of Eric Bieniemy's. You know him real well. Did you have a feeling when you guys were playing together that he was going to be a coach at some point? Like sometimes you get a feel like one of your teammates is destined to just be, you know, overweight with a dip in, working out with football guys forever. Did you guys know that he was going to be a coach? I, I won't say that we knew, but uh, I think looking back, everybody who was on that team would say there's no way we win a national championship without Eric's play on the field, but his leadership in the locker room. So he wasn't a X's and O's guy. He wasn't a super schemer as a player at Colorado. Now I had a chance to play with Mike Vrabel um, at my time in New England. And it was clear as soon as you walk into that linebacker room, that dude's going to be a coach. Um, that dude is the smartest guy in the room. That guy has got a better command of the X's and O's than some of our coaches. So I didn't get that sense of Eric, but clearly the leadership – and the passion for football was always there. So once he got into coaching after he was done playing in the NFL, I knew initially that it would be, lead, you know, be led by his passion for the game and his desire to make players better. But along the way, he certainly has developed an intricate knowledge of the schemes of the NFL and has been successful at the highest level doing just that. Chad, you, you were a baller, obviously, so it takes one to know one. You get drafted in the second round just outside of the top 40, and you – end up playing in three Pro Bowls and and a couple-time All-Pro, I think people just forget, if you're not a little bit older than me, how good Biennemi was. I mean, what a player he was. Can you speak to that? Oh, EB was the real deal. Again, we do not win that national championship without him. Uh, The Colorado Buffaloes at that time, we were in the old-school Big 8, 
not exactly a passing conference. So you needed to be able to run the ball and run the ball efficiently against some top quality defenses like Oklahoma and, and Nebraska. And you need to be able to do that in terrible weather conditions. And so EB was as tough as a football player as I've been around. He was a 4-4 guy as a running back. I think ran for over 1,600 yards his best season with the Colorado Buffaloes. Was a Heisman finalist. So uh, the guy has got a tremendous college football resume and then was able to get into the NFL, uh, didn't have the same success as a running back, but humbled himself to be a standout special teams guy and ended up playing nine years in the league as a special teams guy uh, and as a third down running back. So uh, the ability to shift and mold and evolve his game so he could stay in the NFL as long as he possibly could and humble himself in that process, he did all those things. Chad, what have you made of, of Eric's journey as uh, as a coach, you know, kind of rising up through the ranks and, you know, kind of being, you know, not given probably enough credit, frankly, for for the work he's done in Kansas City. Well, they've put together one of the best offenses in the history of the sport over the over a five-year period. I think Eric's been a part of the national conversation now for a couple of seasons. But let's go back to his time at UCLA, turning Maurice Jones-Drew into one of the best running backs in college football. Uh, coming to the Colorado Buffaloes, turning Chris Brown into one of the best running backs in college football, getting Adrian Peterson early in his career with the Minnesota Vikings, turning him into one of the best running backs of all time. So uh, his ability to connect and communicate with players is not just something he's done in Kansas City. He's done this even at the very starts of his coaching career in college football. But the last couple of years in Kansas City, obviously he's been a part of this national conversation about coaches and opportunity and racism and all these different things. Um, and I thought this move to go and leave the Chiefs and now become the offensive coordinator for the commanders was unfortunately what he needed to do to change the conversation because the shadow of Andy Reid was always going to be over him. So for him to take the competitive route and go, you know what, let me separate from what may go down as the best quarterback of all time and a coach is going to be in the Hall of Fame and make a stand on my own so I could get the respect that I feel like I deserve was an incredibly courageous move, but certainly speaks to his competitive nature, not trying to take the easy way out. There are some nerves, I would say, around the league for the people that are pulling for the enemy here that the landing spot is Washington. And we're talking to you from <laughs> D.C. where we want nothing but good things for the commanders, but you know this. I mean, this is not the team that it was from right before you got in the league. When you were at Colorado, they were winning Super Bowls. Since that time, they're the only team in the last 20-plus years that hasn't won 11 games. They rarely get to the playoffs. I mean, are you surprised that he kind of rolled the dice with the commanders, left the Kansas City situation and come here rather than maybe waiting for a spot where he might have had an easier path? No. Again, I think it speaks to the competitive fire within him. Uh, there's just certain attitudes among certain players that, you know what, I'll coach anybody you give me. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tie this in some ways to my Pop Warner coaching experience. Uh, there's a competitive Pop Warner thing out here in Colorado. A lot of former NFL players coach Pop Warner teams, and they do their best to stack their team. They go and recruit players, and they go and scout and do all that kind of stuff. I said, you know what? Just give me whatever kids sign up. I'll take those kids, and I'll do my best to turn them into a champion. And we went to the Pop Warner Super Bowl, you know, two years in a row. And I think Eric's philosophy is pretty similar to mine in that. You know, I'm not going to wait for the perfect opportunity. I recognize 
that the shadow of Andy Reid is so big over me, the shadow of Patrick Mahomes is so big over me, that I've got to find the opportunity that will allow me to stand as much on my own as I possibly can. And his competitive fire brought him to the commanders. And I think we'll see the results that he'll bring. Chad Brown with us here on Grant and Danny. Uh, Chad, there's been, I don't, I don't even know a, a better way to, to describe it, but LaShawn McCoy said some things. I think everyone's entitled to their opinion. I thought the handled that incredibly well, by the way, just sort of brushing that off and taking the high road. But he does have kind of a rep of coaching people hard. And I, I say that's good, right? Like you expect the same thing of their superstar and, and the 53rd guy, et cetera. There's a certain standard. But love for you to speak to that, you know, just demanding that everybody – you know, nothing slips, and, and, and again, that word standard comes to mind, that everybody's got to be doing exactly what they're supposed to do at all times. Yeah, there's a clip floating around uh, Twitter of him giving Adrian Peterson a hard time for being uh, a late showing up to, to, to practice. And I think the best players want to be coached. I played with Tom Brady. Tom Brady loved being coached. If you want to be great, if you truly want to be great, then you appreciate the coaching. You appreciate the, 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 the no excuses attitude. You appreciate not giving you anything, making you go out and earn those things. Now, sometimes later in your career, like LaShawn McCoy, you can have some pushback on that because you say, well, I've got some skins on the wall. Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. You've got to earn it out here every day. You've got to earn your, your roster spot every single day by your attitude, your preparation, uh, the energy and passion that, that you bring. And Eric's always going to coach – that way and is always going to be uh, a guy who is, is going to challenge his players. Um, but I think that relationship goes both ways. I had Kansas City Indy early this season, and right before uh, halftime, a decision was made apparently by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and the offensive play callers to uh, not go for a field goal. And that upset Patrick Mahomes. And, and Patrick Mahomes and Eric got into it on the field as they were heading off the field going into halftime. Um, but they go out in the second half. They, they put together a good game plan and almost win that ball game. Obviously, they go on to win the Super Bowl this season. Uh, but I think it speaks to the willingness to, hey, I'm going to give you some, but I'm willing to take some back. And we've seen Eric and Travis Kelsey get into it on the sideline. We've seen him and Patrick Mahomes get into it on the sideline. But, heck, we saw Bill Parcells do those same kind of things. So it's always been interesting to me that Bill Parcells is revered for his attitude and his approach to dealing with his players and his coaches. But somehow for Eric, that's a negative. Um, The best coaches challenge you and bring out the best in you. That's what Eric's trying to do. Chad Brown covers the game at both the college and the NFL levels. He's joining us here on Grant and Danny tapping into some of his expertise on Biennemi as a former college teammate who knew him uh, personally. want to widen the scope, though, and, and talk about some other things around ball with you. Starting with your alma mater, we began the conversation at, you know, with your time at Colorado. Deion Sanders, the head coach now. What a, a fascinating year this could prove to be. I mean, just about everything he does on social media goes viral. What are your initial thoughts of uh, Deion Sanders as the head coach there? Uh, the bus program was on a path to maybe not even, not just irrelevant, but not being a program anymore. I could not see a way forward for that program. Where were the NIL dollars going to come from? They were one in, they won one game last year. How was the program going to improve? Where are the recruits going to come from? Where were the dollars going to come from to keep them at, at pace with the rest of college football? 
suddenly Rick George is able to lure in Deion Sanders, and the conversation immediately flips. They go from irrelevant to you can't talk about college football without talking about Coach Prime, as he's being requested to be called, and the Colorado Buffaloes. They could barely bring in recruits who were at the major college football level. Now they're getting four- and five-star recruits. There was no money, absolutely no money anywhere in the program. Now they got boosters coming out, in, out, of, out of the woodwork trying to give money to the program. So his presence has completely flipped things. Would it be for me as a 52-year-old guy? No, I, I don't love all the social media stuff, but I'm not 17 and 18. I'm not looking for likes and followers. Those kids are. So he knows exactly how to touch the points with the kids and bring them in. Now, at, this, at some point, you've got to be able to win football games to keep this going. You've got to be able to bring these kids in and make them feel like they're a part of a team, not just a, a, a band of mercenaries looking for NIL dollars and pro opportunities and more followers and likes on social media. So there's work that has to be done, but this initial eight weeks has been tremendous. It may be the greatest roster turnover in college football history from a talent perspective. 45-plus new kids in the program, all either you know three or four high school, uh, high school recruits coming in or transfers from other schools who played and had significant impacts in the program as they were leaving. So it's been an amazing turnaround. Now they've got to do it on the field. Chad, what do you make of the NIL situation? It's kind of the Wild West as everybody's sort of scrambling to figure out the, the best way to capitalize on it. And I feel like some schools are, are getting left behind there. What are your general thoughts? Uh, on one hand, I, I absolutely hate it uh, because of the Wild West atmosphere because if you give college coaches and recruiters and boosters and alumni uh, any kind of way to you know, scheme up an advantage, they'll come up with it. And we saw some kids make decisions in the last two years where they hadn't even visited the campus. The decisions were based on who's going to give me NIL dollars. We saw the $13 million quarterback who was going to go to the University of Florida. Now he's at Arizona State and doesn't have any money whatsoever. So these kids and families are getting burned along the way. But having said that, going back to my playing days, it was an odd experience to walk around campus and see people wearing my jersey that is sold in the university bookstore, and I don't get anything from that. Yes, of course, I know I get paid with my scholarship, but the school is making money off my image, name, and likeness, the NIL, and I don't receive anything from that. So there's got to be a way to – balance this out and create some some a level playing field in some ways maybe everybody in certain conferences all has the same opportunity for the same nil dollars there's got to be some way that alabama doesn't leave vanderbilt to give an sec example completely behind from an nil perspective uh college football is the opposite of the nfl the nfl you're the worst team you draft first in college football you win a national championship then you tend to get the best recruits and you have the best boosters with the most NIL dollars. It's a system that feeds itself. There's got to be a way to make a little bit more equal and level playing field for all involved. Former NFL All-Pro Chad Brown on G&D. Before we let you go, I, I know you mostly are focused on the Pac-12 out west, but you cover the combine and the collegiate game really well. I'm curious if you had any thoughts or, or saw a lot of Sam Howell at North Carolina. And just from a, for a national perspective, after just one game and under 20 pass attempts, Washington is supposedly going to roll with the former Tar Heel as their starter, and he's going to be the enemy's guy under center this year. Your thoughts on that? 
Uh, I think there was a, a lot to like from Sam Howell at uh, North Carolina, but wow. Uh, one guy, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> that's a pretty lofty, a pretty lofty elevation for a guy with not a lot of experience. Um, now Eric has worked with, you know, lots of different levels of quarterbacks. His time at the university of Colorado, when he was paired with John Embry, they were kind of a package deal, head coach and offensive coordinator. The, the, the talent uh, cover was pretty bare for the Buffaloes, even a few years back, much less this last couple of seasons. So uh, I get a feeling he'll be able to put some structure around what Howell's doing and not ask too much of him. I've got to imagine that the commanders will pursue some of these quarterbacks who are out there. Does, does Derek Carr seem like a, a guy who heck, who knows what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers just coming out of his darkness retreat. Um, but to think that Sam Howell is going to be the best and only option for the commanders and Eric Bieniemy, um, that would not make me feel like it's going to be a playoff season for Washington. Chad, great to catch up with you, man. Great information. Have a great weekend, okay? All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. There's Chad Brown here on G&D. Put another M&M in the bowl Yep. for person nationally not thinking they're going to just roll with Sam. Like Howell. it just can't be, right? <laughs> that's that's the counter argument. It's, it is the, and it's why I ask every guest we have on who covers uh-huh. the NFL. No, it's, it's insightful. Outside of D.C. Because we have yet to have one single person who goes, yeah, I totally get it. Makes sense. Every single person almost reacts the exact same way as he did. They don't quite laugh like he did. But the point is, one game? Eh, they're probably going to have to kick the tires on Derek Carr, which, by the way, they're not doing. Like Derek Carr has been to New Orleans and met with the Saints. He's been Is to it the, the Jets. Jets. I think the Panthers are up next. There has been no linkage. There's been no conversation or discussion. Now, if Derek Carr is visiting Ashburn, okay, that's a whole other world. That's a whole other conversation where we can talk about how their actions aren't meeting what they're saying. But locally, I'll speak for myself. I think people are buying in, though. Yes. I, oh, I think very much so. Know that this is kind of the Sam Howell show this year, but man, are people having a hard time seeing it outside of DC? And it, I understand it. Which I get. I mean, the it, Wednesday yes. before his first Thank game, you. the coach supposedly didn't think he was ready. Then he completed eleven passes, and now he's saying he's the guy. Yeah, blind taste test challenge, right? You tell somebody who's a fan in I don't know, pick your city, right? Uh, Pacific Northwest. Okay, so uh, the game didn't matter for the for the team in question. All right, uh, he only threw nineteen times. Uh huh, and he didn't start the rest of the year. Was the, the third way, string quarterback, like a second string made quarterback? Made a bad interception. Yeah, you oh. know, you know what I mean. It wasn't like it was perfect or the craziest, most awesome game ever. He did some really good things. I was really impressed, but it was it was not like he was twenty of twenty two with five touchdowns and no bad decisions. Yeah, and uh, okay, so and this coach is entering year four, and this is a must win for him and the coordinator. Okay, yeah, there's no way. Like it, the pieces do not fit if unless you were here and you had that like kind of like quiet Sam Howell buzz going throughout the season. Good spot there. A good conversation with Chad Brown, the former college teammate of Eric Bieniemy. Do you really think that all these rumors that Dan would never sell to Jeff Bezos are true? If Bezos is the high bidder, will he end up with the team, or do you think Dan gets petty and says anybody but you? Let's get into that next on GND. I think part of it is just, you know, we've reported the highest bid so far is $6.3 billion. Um, that goes against what was reported by um, 
uh, Forbes a few months, a couple months ago, about the whole seven billion dollar number. He's not near that now. Um, so Bezos is probably only the only one willing to go above uh, or go go close to seven billion, which is in, which is a lot of money, especially when you're talking three to four billion dollars for a stadium. On top of that, uh, but Bezos could, you know, Bezos is this is. This is a big huge for um, for the you know the commander's fans because like it's probably the it's not only is he does he is he you know, uber rich uh, but he's also has the connections uh, he would possibly make RFK back in play and put putting that RFK site back in play the only real, people I've been talking to for months think think Bezos is probably the only person who can make that happen. That was AJ Perez yesterday. He's with Front Office Sports. He was here on. Grant and Danny with us right about now, actually, 24 hours ago. Thanks for listening to The Fan, and welcome back. There is rampant speculation, has been for months, that even if Bezos is the high bidder, Snyder would not sell to Jeff Bezos. The idea being that Dan doesn't like Bezos because Bezos owns the Post. Snyder hates the Post. The Post has been more responsible by way of journalism and doing their research. You're doing what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Actually, you know, pen mightier than the sword, as I like to say, finding and unearthing some of his wrongdoings and the organizational wrongdoings. Not nefariously, but the Post, more than any other outlet, I would say, has been responsible for Dan Snyder's oustering, if you will, or um, us being where we are in his ownership. Yeah. He thinks, according to his, and this is not this is not me speculating as much as it is, this is what his attorney said on our airwaves. Remember this. His attorney came on our show. I think he went on with B. Mitch and Finley as well and some other places. And he suggested that there was a takedown of Dan Snyder and that Bezos, or that I guess he didn't say necessarily Bezos was behind it, but that allegedly this was all cooked up to get after Dan and that somebody wants to take him down. And why would this? And he was trying to like wear his little tinfoil hat and suggest mm-hmm. what was going on. Yeah, and, you know, congressional testimony happens with the House Oversight Committee, and it's they're trying to paint Bruce Allen as the guy that's uh, the one that's the mastermind behind all this stuff. They initially thought it was one of the minority owners, and they tried to use some of the several lawsuits about, uh, you know, the, the defamatory language used in some, you know, bizarre website that nobody believed in to, to you know, get to the bottom of the whole thing. I mean, it is a an endless, you know, chasing your tail game for... Snyder to do these mental gymnastics to basically prove that he's the victim in all of this, right? Like that's what his side wanted out there. That was their advocacy was basically to say that Dan's just a victim and he's tired of the BS. And that's why he may be removing himself and selling. I remember being told by people with the team, people that talked to Dan that he didn't want to sell to Bezos. And this was months ago as recently, probably as even five, six weeks ago, I remember hearing, he would prefer not to sell to Bezos, or I would have a hard time believing Bezos got the team. Like, things like that, okay? Mm-hmm. Everyone that seems to be reporting on this has heard that at some point. They've all floated this idea. This speculation's been out there. From Albert Breer of SI to, to Perez, we just played a clip from him, yep. uh, has had this at Front Office Sports. The Post has put this in some of their stories. Do you actually believe, though, that if Bezos is willing to give Dan Snyder more money than anybody else for the commanders, that based on nothing other than pettiness, he would say no. And either, I guess, keep the team or more than likely sell the team to someone else for less money. Do you really think that could be the the end result here? 
We actually asked this question yesterday to Liz Clark. Uh, she's with The Post. Her and Mark Maskey and Nikki Javala broke the story that Bezos had hired a firm to try to get his ducks in a row for a possible bid that he's kicking around and trying to now see what the team is worth. This is the beginning of his involvement now in this sale. Big deal, right? We talked about it all day yesterday, a lot of the day today. But the question is, if Bezos is the number one bidder in terms of overall amount he's willing to give up, is Dan going to say no to him? This is what Liz had to say. You know, in my experience in dealing with NFL owners and super high-performing business business people, um, money talks. You know, that it, it's just rare that you would see someone presented with uh, a best offer and and not take it because of you know a grudge or or whatever. I mean, not to mention Dan Snyder is not going to choose who buys his team. He's going to choose who he wants to sell to, then he needs to take that buyer to the other NFL owners, and they voted up or down. I mean, the first buyer for the Redskins, when they were the Redskins, um, was not Dan Snyder. It was the Milstein family. That's who the trust chose. They brought forward the Milsteins, and the NFL said, yeah, I don't think so. Um, He wasn't approved. So then they went to plan B. So it's not a couple things. Who knows? I, I, I would expect Snyder to take the best offer he gets. And to underscore um, what people may not understand, he doesn't have the final say on who buys the team. He largely gets to decide. He gets to pick who he wants to buy the team. But as Liz pointed out, that's not always the last person standing, right, that the other owners can dictate. This is another point that I think is significant. If Bezos is in and Bezos has an offer that's bigger and better, Mm -hmm. would the other owners even allow Dan to accept the, the offer from Josh Harris. That's it. Because think about it this way. They have to approve the next owner. They don't get to pick the owner for Dan. They can't make him say you're selling to Bezos. But Dan needs them to confirm the sale, essentially. They have a club that's 31 people. They're adding the, the new 31st person into the club. And if they say, no, you don't get to sell your team. I'm going to use... Uh, Harris as the other potential buyer that Mm -hmm. we keep hearing about, Josh Harris. Let's say that Harris offers 5.75 and Bezos is offering 6.25. And Dan is trying to sell the team to Harris. Wouldn't the other owners just say, no, we're not doing this. Use their leverage and say, we can get more money from this guy that we want anyway. Allow what Liz just said. Basically, put the kibosh on... Josh Harris and strong arm their way into Jeff Bezos. Like, why isn't that on the table here? I think that's the center of it. I think Liz's last point and what you just said is at the core of all this. I believe this whole thing is forced. I believe Dan Snyder has this is dictated to. And I I, I think he's not going willingly and it's just sort of happening. So whether he wants I, I think given his druthers, if he had all his choices, he would not sell to Jeff Bezos. I I, I really believe that he thinks he's a victim of the Washington Post and their and and they're reporting that everyone every other owner is just as bad, if not worse, and just nobody goes after them, but they chose me, and it's the whole thing's bogus. And you know, the minority owners tried to get me out, and this is a Bruce Allen conspiracy, and you and I are villains too, and the whole thing in his warped little mind. So I think he'd rather not sell to Jeff Bezos. But I think this is about the league dictating to him. I really do. I think this is about that he had he's had to have certain punishments, had to have certain conditions to be met. 
and we never really talked about these sorts of things, but a while ago, that sort of secret non-punishment punishment thing, I think there was plenty of stuff that was behind the scenes where he had to, you know, uh, agree to certain criteria and, and agree to certain milestones and uh, some of these different things that we never really heard about, but then they came out publicly and trumpeted themselves and patted themselves on the back for all their, you know, culture change things. I think that was dictated to them. I think this is a similar phenomenon going on right here, right now. That's a long way of saying the league wants Bezos for, a, for a, I was going to say a million, billions of reasons. And it's obvious. It's plain as day. It just changes the eye line of these guys. He's he's as rich as the, the next 10 owners combined times two. You know, like it's it's a totally different ball game with him involved. And that's what they want. I also think the league, they don't need Bezos. But eventually, I think they would tell you Bezos is going to be with us. He'll be one of us. Mm-hmm. It's here. It's Seattle. It's 10 years from now with another team. We got to get him with us. He, he is interested. He's curious and poking around. This is going to happen inevitably. They want it now. They don't want to wait. Right. They don't want the possibility that maybe Seattle sells in a couple of years and maybe he comes in and at that point he decides if he wants to. There's a possibility that he buys this team in the nation's capital. Oh, by the way, a team that is currently ruining the process of trying to get public money for stadiums, making it a lot harder to do that, ruining, if you look at how easy it is for other teams to build their stadiums, that overall process, they're they're costing other organizations. They're costing you money with just how much their attendance has dropped and the fan engagement has been suffocated and is being restricted and choked out by Dan Snyder. As I think about this, and, and one of our buddies, I think it was Phil, texted me, you know, this idea that these other owners might actually be able to, to dictate, ultimately, it doesn't really matter if, if Bezos is Dan's number two. If he's offering the most money, he might still get the team. How much Snyder sells for directly affects every single other owner's value. Absolutely. In a future sale. This, to me, would be the equivalent. My analogy is, and this is not how it works, but if you're selling your house and everyone on your cul-de-sac had to sign off on your sale. So, in other words, you're in a neighborhood with seven, oh, yeah. seven other homeowners, and you may have had to deal with this. I know I lived in a place once where someone sold way below market, and it just was a kick to the you-know-what. Because <laughs> these houses, we're getting these like red fin mailers all the time. Uh-huh. Like, oh, look at the number. Look, it's going up. It's going up. It's going up. And then inexplicably, everything's selling at these great numbers. Someone was like desperate to get out and just wanted to be gone yesterday. And they sold for way, way below everything else. And we went, you just killed you us, man. You unbelievable horse's ass. You just <laughs> yeah. crushed us. Imagine if everyone had to basically, or, uh-huh. now we all had to vote, but it had to be a 75% agreement of all the homeowners that you got to sell your house at that rate. In other words, we know that someone's offering 25000 more. You don't want to sell to that person because you think they might be a house flipper. You got this really nice letter from this family, and you really hit it off with this mom and dad, with the, the young, cute kids, and you want to sell to them at 30000 less. They don't have the cash to buy, but this is the family that's perfect for the home, and you can see little Johnny sleeping in the bed where little Timmy grew up, right? Mm-hmm. But now we get a say in this, and we didn't get those letters, and we go, which one's offering more? That one. The more is the one you want. How about this scenario, though? We're talking about if Bezos comes and offers more. What if his people, Allen and company, and whoever else, what if they offer the same? 
Here's why it's not going to be the same because Bezos has easier access to cash and you know Harris still has to do the financing for the two billion up front or whatever. The point is, if it's close, the league would prefer Bezos. Ty goes to the Bezos, right? It's not Ty goes to the runner anymore. No. Ty goes to the Bezos. Uh, this was Charles Gasparino, Fox Business News. Pretty wild interview that we did earlier today here on Grant and Daniel. Yeah. Say very much worth a download uh, of the podcast tonight if you missed the FanDC.com. It got wacky, but uh, this was his prediction moving forward. If I was to bet, I think either nothing or Bezos buys it. Unless there's something in that report that that is really damning that where he has to sell. And then, you know, then, you know, if if he if he has to sell then he can't hold out for six and you know, he just sells it to whatever the highest bidder, whatever that is at that point. So I, I think I don't know if he could turn down six. I, someone says he hates Bezos. He doesn't want to sell to Bezos. I've I've heard that privately. I I don't I don't know that to be the fact. Just so you know, but um, you know, but uh, if someone's handed you six billion and you bought something for five eight hundred million, you know, it's hard to say no to that. That was Gasparino, Fox Business News earlier today. Question for you. We'll hit the phones next. Eight hundred six three six. 1067. Do you believe that Dan Snyder wouldn't want to sell to Jeff Bezos even if he's the high bidder, which has kind of long been a speculation? And if that is true, do you think that matters? Or would the other owners find a way to tell Dan Snyder the only way we're signing off is if it's Bezos? Grant and Danny on the fan. With Jeff Bezos hiring a firm to help him get prepared to possibly bid on the commanders yesterday, we're wondering, do you think there's any truth to the idea that Dan Snyder wouldn't let him buy the team even if he did have the highest bid? 800-636-1067 is the number. Danny, I'm of the belief whoever puts up the most money is who Dan's going to sell to, period. Bezos... Elon Musk, I don't think it matters. Right. Whoever gives him the most pennies, if it's eight more pennies, I think he sells it to that person. I think that's the case because the league is going to make it that make it that way. If that makes any sense, right? I think Dan, if had his druthers, wouldn't want to sell the Bezos, but I don't think he has them. I also think the most important thing for him is to look as good as possible in terms of the transaction. You know, we had a guy right. earlier today called in who was pro-Dan, which is always amazing to me. Uh, but he called in. They're out he, there. He talked about like what an amazing businessman he's proven to be because he bought this thing under a billion dollars. He's about to sell it for six. I don't know that that was anything he did necessarily. This is just a cash cow that just keeps growing. And he was growing in the driver's seat. <laughs> I guess. Having said that, the more he can get, the more he can claim victory. The fact that anybody could have owned the team and seen the wealth and the the share and what it was worth grow the valuation in Forbes is going to keep skyrocketing this is a juggernaut there is no stopping this league at this point let's go to Brent in Hyattsville what do you think uh yeah is this me yes yeah uh well I here's the thing I don't think Dan has a choice and this is why let's say hypothetically Harris comes with 5.7 Bezos comes with 6 billion 
uh, and Dan wants to say, oh, well, I don't like Bezos. I'm not selling him. I want to sell to Harris. The NFL can say, hey, we're sick of your crap. Vote him out and decide to just sell it to Bezos out from under Dan. And Bezos can then say, hey, you know what? Six billion's too much. I only want to come with about 4.8 because I got to build a stadium with my own money. And then Dan will end up losing out on a absurd amount of money just because he wants to be a petty little punk. If you think that they would vote him out, mm. I think they have threatened and told him they will. I'm not convinced that they actually would. I don't think they'll ever vote. A big part of that is I don't think they're going to have to. I think he's going to sell before then. But I'll be stunned if they vote, and I'd be more surprised if they voted him out. In fact, I would be willing to bet that they don't have 24 votes right now. It's just hard for me to believe that guys like Jerry Jones, who have their own problems and their own allegations and all kinds of things swirling around, at a 75% clip are going to lower the threshold of what now costs you your stewardship of these organizations. You're going to allow everyone to start looking around and kicking around for skeletons in your own Because we know Snyder's a 10 out of 10 on the badness scale. Does a 9 get kicked out? What about, what about an 8-2? What about, eight, two? What about a 7-3? Every you time know? you move those goalposts a little uh-huh. bit, they get closer to you. Yep. David Eldersburg on Grant and Danny. How are you? Hey, guys. Uh, I'm 74. If we saw the Bezos and RFKs in play, I stopped going in the 90s. I would go back. The question I have is, is Snyder petty enough to hate the fans? He's never. I've never thought the guy was really fan-friendly. But would, would that just make him look so bad he would refuse to sell? It's a great topic. Thanks, thanks guys. Would what make him look so bad? In other words, going getting RFK back in play? Well, yeah, and everybody's going to go back. Who's not going to go back? Oh, I see what you're saying. In other words, Snyder's fear is the moment he sells, this thing becomes a buzzsaw. Yeah, people again. are happy again. And he doesn't want the optics of, it becoming clear it was all him. Well, he, he's so delusional. And again, right now, this minute, wherever he is, sipping tea and eating crumpets or whatever he's doing, he thinks he's the victim. He yes. thinks, he, right? You know what I mean? So what he thinks and what he believes about the unwashed masses, he believes he's better than you, me, and everybody else, right? Like it, it, looking down on us, he thinks the, he's the smartest guy in every room he's ever been in. He sees an angle that nobody else sees. So whereas you and I would go, everyone would, what transaction involved with his team would cause people to get together for a parade, right? I'm not talking about a Super Bowl. I'm talking about a transaction. If he's not the owner, people are going to celebrate. In his mind, it's a, look at how good I am at business. I made, you know, $5.2 billion as a steward that, you know, took a proud crown jewel and crashed into the mountain a thousand times. But in his mind, I made a bunch of money, so therefore I'm good at this. He he doesn't see and, and act and behave to outside stimuli the way reasonable people do. Yeah, a lot of people, and I don't know what he actually thinks, so I'll just speak more generically, but people like Dan often feel like a casualty of a movement or whatever, right? Like, he might just think, you use the word victim, which I love, but he, he is kind of the scapegoat of a, a bad time in the organization's yeah. history. He might really wake up in the morning and think some of the things that Gasparino, who said he hasn't talked to him in a while, but used to know him, was saying, which is, I didn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. That's not my fault. I just wanted a quarterback. So there's a real chance of that. And you surround yourself with people that tell you what you want to hear for long enough. Your reality does become different. Yeah, you fire everyone that doesn't. Your legitimate truth in your mind 
it, it, which it can be warped from the real truth, it, it is gospel to you. So yeah, I'd love to know what he thinks. But I think we have a pretty good indicator based on what his attorney said when he came on our show that Dan was basically the victim of a lot of people in cahoots trying to cancel him. And I'm paraphrasing. Grant and Danny on the fan, do you think if Bezos puts up the most money, he'll get the team? And curious, let's get into this too as well, Danny. If Bezos was to buy this team, what would excite you most about the possibilities? Like what would that really mean on the other side? We're G&D on the fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com. Uh, 